Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. And we're returning this week to a topic that I think is super important that we don't talk enough about, and that is the health of our pelvic floor. And I'm really honored and delighted to be joined today by somebody who is, I think, a real world expert on pelvic health. She is Ingrid Harm Hernandez. And welcome to the show, Ingrid. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so delighted that we, you know, connected with each other. But first, I'm going to tell my listeners a little bit about you. You've been a physical therapist for a long time, 26 years. You're the co-director and mentor for the Duke's Women's Health Physical Therapy Residency Program. Um, you are well known and sit on many committees and important bodies are in the U.S. around pelvic floor health. And in the back end of 2021, you wrote a book called The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms. (laughs) I got that right. It's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wonderful. I mean, this is your work. You've been in this space for a long time. But tell me, Ingrid, what prompted you at this stage to write a book? Um, So it was interesting, you know, in treating uh, pelvic health patients, I just noticed over the years that it was taking so very long for patients to actually get to be referred to see me. So it could be five, 10, sometimes it was as much as 30 years someone was suffering with symptoms before they get to see me. So now their problems were well entrenched, I call it. They were so... um, their musculoskeletal system was so involved, even if it wasn't 100% involved in the beginning. So I just thought to myself, I how do I change this? How do I make things happen? So I became involved in some organizations that helped me lecture, but I felt like it still wasn't enough. And then one day, the CEO of Desert Harvest, um, Heather Florio, said to me, Ingrid, why don't you write a book? And I said, oh, I've wanted to do that for years, but I don't even know where to start, right? So she kind of gave me that kick in the pants, I'll say, <laughs> to start writing the book. <laughs> um, and the the book was a great, great way to explain to people how the musculoskeletal system is even involved, especially in menopause, where we don't really think of the musculoskeletal system. We think of our organs and our hormones, but not the musculoskeletal system, right? So it was great to get right. that information out and explain to people what the diagnoses can be because a lot of people, they don't even know what to ask about, right? So my hope was to get that information out with the book. 
I love that. And I think you're right. I think a lot of conversation in menopause ends up being about, you're right, hormones, about hot flashes, about even brain fog. But the conversation about our actual skeletal system, our muscles are only is quite weak. And then it tends to come up, doesn't it, Ingrid, in in, in forms of talking about scarcopenia and osteopenia, but it, it feels very outward rather than the fact that this is happening internally as well. Yeah, yeah. It's um so our musculoskeletal system, especially in the pelvic area, is driven to some degree by estrogen. So as we go through menopause, that supply of estrogen goes down and then the muscles are reacting to it, and that they can react in many different ways like I said, especially at the pelvic floor. So we get more rapid changes at the pelvis and pelvic floor as we go through menopause. Yeah. And and that means that we've got a a weaker pelvic floor. Am I right? It can be. So many people immediately think a weaker and yes, yeah, that absolutely can happen, but we can get the reverse, which is a tightening or a hypertonic pelvic floor as well. So um, I'll kind of explain it this way. So we are, we are supposed to be able to use our muscle through its range. So if I do that with my bicep, I can move my arm back and forth clearly and easily. But if that muscle starts to tighten up, then what happens is it gets stiff there and we start to have difficulty moving it. So if I were to hold my arm like this 24 hours, it would get kind of uncomfortable. If I did it 24-7, after a while, I couldn't move it through the range on, on its own and it starts to weaken. So we get this kind of double whammy of a weak and tight pelvic floor at the same time. And that tight pelvic floor Wow, that can really, really create problems down the road that we may not notice in our first stages of menopause, but certainly later on. And and that can affect us in pain with intercourse, pelvic pain, and I could go on and on with all those effects. And that is news for me. And I wonder if not for my listeners as well, that there is a lot of, wow, that's, I didn't realize it could be tight. Right, right. I always thought that it was, you know, we hear so much about weakening. We're often hearing about, you know, urinary incontinence and and even fecal incontinence. And I'm sure we'll talk more about those in a bit. But but, wow, tight. That 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 is like a new one. And as you said, yes, if your muscle is tight all the time, that's extremely uncomfortable. Right, right. Specifically for pain with intercourse. So we are kind of taught that, well, we'll have pain with intercourse when we go through menopause because our tissues are dry. But here's something to really think about. When we have intercourse, if it's painful, our brain kind of says, I didn't like that. And I don't know if I want to do that again. It's not like we consciously think that, but it's an automatic response. So the next time we have intercourse, our muscles tighten protectively, just like anywhere else. We might shrug our shoulders, you know, we're scared of something. We might do that when we're in pain, but we do that at the pelvic floor and don't know we're doing that. So what happens is the next time we have intercourse and the muscles are tight, it's even more painful and it cyclically gets more painful. And if the tissues on top of it are dry, so as a pelvic floor PT, we will work on muscles and tissues at the same time. So intercourse can become not only comfortable, but enjoyable again and that should be we should realize that that can happen through menopause and beyond 
Yeah, and you're right, because what you've got then is tight muscles, dry tissue. It feels like, whoa, that's very uncomfortable. So what are some of the other things that can happen around our pelvic floor at this time? Because obviously we've got this tightness, but what other things are showing up for women commonly, not normally? Right, right. Yeah. So I would say um, you already mentioned incontinence, which can happen and we can have uh, urinary incontinence where what people are more commonly know about is what's called stress incontinence. So if you sneeze or you cough, you will get leakage. And that is due to a more weakened pelvic floor usually. I'll say usually. We can have urge incontinence, which is, I need to get to the bathroom right now. And that happens quite frequently. And that can actually be more attention of muscles, not just the bladder itself, but also the pelvic floor. And that together can give us that urgency, which we'll, we'll often see during menopause as well. Fecal incontinence, you mentioned, that is something that people absolutely don't want to talk about, but we really should. It is something that during the birthing process, initial injury will happen. And then for a while, we'll be okay. And as we go through menopause, all these things can come back. And research is now showing that what's called an operative assist. So what we might know as a forceps delivery, those women are more prone to having these problems later in life. But if it's not addressed right away, then it doesn't show up until menopause. And that's very, very sad. Um, And then things like just pelvic pain, a generalized pelvic pain often occurs during menopause as well. And that could be hip pain, pelvic floor pain, back pain, abdominal pain. It's all part of the picture, but we think of those things as separate entities. Wow. Well, of course, we're, 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 of course, we're all connected, aren't we? I mean, we are, you know, it's not like those parts of our bodies are separate, but, but you're right. It can be all of these things. And so women are going around getting their back fixed by the chiropractor and going to their nutritionist because, or RD, because your gut's not right. And then possibly thinking, I've got hip pain, so I have to live with it, or I go to a physio. And a lot of that could actually be directly related to the pelvis, but that sort of gets missed. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would say you mentioned osteoporosis. So, you know, they're showing that if you have better muscle tone, muscle mass, there's less chance of osteoporosis. And or if you fall, you're less likely to have a fracture. And that's one of the big concerns, of course, with osteoporosis. So building muscle health and pelvic floor strength, which a pelvic PT can do, you know, that is all part of it. It's all, you know, part of the big, big picture, the whole person. Yeah, it really is a whole person approach. And you mentioned, of course, we mentioned fecal incontinence. And I think you're right. I heard a figure that was something like one in five women, but but what what is it, Ingrid? How many women are really sort of averagely struggling with fecal incontinence? Um, Well, that's a good question. The overall pelvic, the incidence of pelvic issues is one in four um, across the world. Um, That's everything. Now that percentage actually goes up as we get older. So it will increase, you know, and, and especially as we reach menopause. Fecal incontinence itself is in, I believe, the 12 to 15% range. It's much larger than people think. People think fecal incontinence is an extremely rare thing. It's not. It's like people just don't talk about it and ask for help. <laughs> no. Well, no. And it's difficult, I think, if we're already quite 
you know, we're in menopause, we're struggling a bit, aren't we? We feel a bit mm, a bit off, you know, we're a bit shamed of everything. You know, it's quite a hard thing actually to say to your clinician, and he may not know as much about the pelvic floor as the PT does. So we we keep that one to ourselves and sort of hide it away, can't we? Yeah, yeah. And it's that's so sad. Again, you know, writing the book is just so that people understand these conditions they're common. They're not normal. You know, we don't, we shouldn't think we have to live with it. You know, when, when, when I see, you know, I, I see, I had an elderly woman in front of me in the grocery store and she had, you know, incontinence pads and she had some fruit and so forth. And I could see her looking back and forth. And she finally took some of the fruit off the counter because she couldn't afford all of it, but she was desperate. Her incontinence was so bad. I could see this, you know, standing behind her. I don't think anybody would have noticed it, but that's, you know, in my realm. And I, I'm like, wow, you know, if she had known or her physician or her nurse or PA had known earlier, they could have said, you can go to pelvic PT, you can get care for it. You don't have to have pads, right? But it's, I feel like that's going so slow. It's getting better, but it's going so slow to improve that concept. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is, that's, that's tough, isn't it? Because what we're then seeing is women then making, making things do, making it kind of half work for them. Um, but you know, buying PT pads, as you said, or or thinking they have to buy on these incontinence underwear that gets sold, and that is really tough, actually, isn't it? When when we should be really focused on fixing the problem, am I right there, Ingrid? Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, just like other things, it's putting a bandaid on it. You know, wearing the pads themselves can cause irritation to the skin and pain and so forth. You know, it's it, it's so difficult that you know. I think why why are we not working at preventing things and making things better? I mean, I've always said if I could have every eighteen year old in my clinic, so I can give them some advice and start them and and know that they can ask the right questions of their clinician. And not be, you know, just recently I talked to someone who had a baby and they're like, yeah, the doctor said, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about the leakage you have now. It will go away. And don't worry about your back and hip pain. And, and I said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, and, and, you know, we had a good talk and she was flabbergasted that something could be done about it. And I just think that's so sad. That that is really sad, and I and I think what you said there is really starting to prepare women a lot younger for caring for their PT is is critical, isn't it? It is absolutely critical. I mean, just like any musculoskeletal condition, if you wait, you know the the stressors and the activities of your life, and I call it an accumulation of life. Everything that happens over your life, your musculoskeletal system starts to react to it and have difficulty with it. And so if you had just a small problem to begin with, that can escalate and that can increase. And then you add menopause to it and now it snowballs, right? Right. Whereas if we had been able to take care of it earlier, either we wouldn't have a problem or we knew, okay, I can do this and I can solve it. 
Indeed. So what are some of the preventative things that people can do when they're young? Let's just go there before we explore what happens when it's not so easy. Yeah, yeah. But when you're young, what would you recommend? So for everybody to truly learn what a real pelvic floor contraction is, um, because I had so many women, in fact, the majority of my women come in the clinic and, you know, they say, I know how to do a Kegel. I've heard of a Kegel. When I test them, not only are they not doing it correctly, they can be doing something that can make their symptoms worse. So we mentioned the pelvic floor tension before. If you're doing 101 pelvic floor contractions a day, Kegels, as you think, you could actually make your pelvic floor tighter. So we want to make sure that people learn how to do it correctly. And, And literally four pages in this book is devoted to pelvic floor contraction and relaxation so that you learn what's important and what you should be doing. So that's a big one right there. And then just learning good body mechanics, how to take care of your body and lift things without hurting yourself can can go a long way to preventing problems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think those are just practical things we can do at any time aren't they? But yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I know how to do it. I need to get the book because I'm not sure I know how to do a Kegel correctly. I'm quite sure that I could be doing it incorrectly uh, and causing tightness. Um, and of course, now people can not just do Kegels with an app, can they? they can buy devices, but you still have to know how to use them. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the devices can be good. They can be a good tool. But if you're if you don't have the foundation and you're not doing it correctly to begin with, then you're not going to get anything out of it. And many people stop using the devices because they feel like, oh, that didn't help at all. I just spent a lot of money on it. And it's I mean, it's such a natural, easy thing to do with your own body right off the bat that is not expensive. You know, learning how to do it correctly and learning how to relax correctly is like, is that foundation, right? And education, I'll say that's the big thing. Education, education. If I could tell every woman, really try to get reputable sources. And in the back of the book, they're all reputable sources to avoid the Dr. Google syndrome that happens when people look things up and they're like, oh my gosh, you know? Um, So it helps people find those right resources and the right clinicians to help them as well. Keenan Wynn from Diversified Fall Protection explains why investments in safety are about more than ROI. If our employees perceive that we value the economics of business and profitability above all, above them, then it sends a terrible message and we will never have that employee's true trust and complete buy-in. Learn more or connect with a local fall protection specialist at fallprotect.com slash pod. Yes. So, I mean, the because the pelvic floor, there are muscles, am I right, at the front and the back? And you have to, yeah, can some of that one can be weaker and the other can be stronger. Is, is that right? Or both could be weak or both could be tight. Yeah, it's, um, I like people to think of it as kind of a hammock. The muscles reach from the front of the bone to the back of the bone. And when they reach, so hopefully um, you can kind of see that's a picture um, hopefully you can see that yeah. pretty well within the pelvis. Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Looking down into the pelvis. So think of it as a bowl or a hammock or a sling. And those muscles reaching front to back are made of a series of different kinds of muscles. And they each have a slightly different function, but they do work together as a unit. So they've got a supportive 
function they all do. And that means they hold your organs up. So whether you cough or sneeze or lift something, those muscles are holding you up. All right. And then the muscles have a sphincteric function. So what that means is you've got um, circular muscles that surround the anus and the, the urethral where you urinate from that opening and they open and close. So when they're weak, they can open on their own and you can have leakage right? There's a sexual function. And that is a little bit what we talked about it so that you can be able to have intercourse to begin with. You can enjoy intercourse. That's a huge part. We kind of let go. It's like, no, that's a big, big part of intercourse and healthy muscles, right? And then there's this entire unit of our core. So people think the rectus abdominis, the six pack, you know, that's their core when no, that's not the <laughs> least important part. It's the pelvic floor that's the most important part. That's the bottom of your canister, so to speak, if you want to think of it that way. And the book, let me see if I can, has a great image on what that looks like. Um, so that is, you know, the whole core with the abdominals in the front, oh, yeah. the pelvic floor on the bottom, the spine in the back and the diaphragm. So the diaphragm right up here is part of that core. Every breath we take impacts our pelvic floor and vice versa. So it's really, really important to know that, right? That's the education part I'm talking about. If, if we know that we can prevent so many issues down the road. Yeah. And I think right in there, you kind of showed that you've got the pelvic floor, but you've got the diaphragm. So even how you breathe, how you hold your posture is going to make a difference. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. 100%. You know, if people can get that concept, I think it goes a long way to understanding how back pain and abdominal pain and hip pain can all be part of it. I've treated women who come in and say, you know, um, I'm here for incontinence. And as I go through their history, they'll say to me, you know, well, I have had hip bursitis for years and they've done injections and they've done this and it never gets better. Well, we treat their pelvic floor and their quote unquote, hip bursitis goes away because it never was a hip bursitis. It was the pelvic floor referring pain out there, right? It's an amazing structure. Yeah, and that makes you think, wow, how many women are walking around? I mean, probably like, I don't want to call my neighbor out, but she always talks about this. And I I bet, and I don't know her well enough to say, have you ever had your pelvic floor examined? But I wonder how much that could be related to that, you know? And obviously a lot of us are sitting like this with hunched up over computers and we don't sit up and pull our shoulders back and and and, and sit and breathe and those things very well. That's causing our issues with our pelvic yeah, floor. Yeah. So it it isn't just Kegels, is it? It's a lot of other things throughout the musculoskeletal system. Right, right. It's really a an integrated unit. I mean, and we talked about that, but actually you can go all the way up into your throat and, you know, your voice and everything else has an impact on the diaphragm, diaphragm on that. It's so, so interconnected. So, you know, those people who are forcing things or having difficulty, constipation is another thing we treat and is another thing that happens during menopause. Um, And straining during a bowel movement just perpetuates that force on the pelvic floor, weakening it further or stressing it Mm. further. And, you know, those are all things that are so, so treatable, so easy once we get the pelvic floor behaving to make, get to have it get better. 
Absolutely. And Ingrid, that sort of even feeds through into our diet, to the fact that if we have a a low fiber diet, we're going to be more likely to be constipated. If we have a poor gut microbiome, then we're going to have gut issues. That's going to lead to strain on the pelvic floor and pelvic floor issues. So my goodness, it, it really makes you think about the body as not being these separated parts, but as this integrated system yeah that's why I've always treated the person as a whole and we kind of left I'm called a pelvic PT but I have treated people from nose to toes because if something else needs to be treated you know to get that all together then that's what we need to do and we often need to treat the brain as well I mean that teaching people how to come up with new techniques and saying, you know, well, this is what your brain is telling you, but this is what's going on. And we can retrain all that. We treat all of that really to help, you know, the body as a whole. Yeah. And I think that if that's the biggest message anybody takes away, that this is your whole body and women should be looking for that support from their PT rather than, oh, yeah, I fixed your pelvic floor. Yeah, it's um, I tell my patients we're a team, you know, and, and I really encourage that in the book, too, because I can't do everything They need to be able to take things home with them and do it. I can guide them. I can do things for them. But what they take home is what they need to repeat because they're living with it. They're with it all the time. I'm not. So if they learn how to take care of themselves, they're on their, they're independent. They don't have to stay with me. They don't have to be with me lifetime. I can show them the way, right? And then they can come back if they need to, you know, but for me, I really want them to be able to take care of themselves. And independence is a big thing that we talk about in the, in the book and learning how to get your team together of other practitioners in case you need it. You might need that specialist for the gut, right? You might need someone specializing in another area of the body to pull it together. That's okay. Acupuncture, you know, chiropractic, you, you said it before. Sometimes that all has to be come together to get someone better. Yeah, absolutely. And is there hope for someone who has issues and they're already into well into menopause with their pelvic floor? Can it be corrected and create a new lease of life for them? Absolutely. (laughs) It's never too late. I've treated women well into their 90s. And sometimes they're my best patients. They just want to do things and get better. They're a hearty lot. You know? They really, really get better. <laughs> so any age, any age, your muscles respond at any age. It's a, it's a misnomer to think that as you get older, your muscles do not respond. They absolutely do. May it take a tad longer? It might take a tad longer, but that really doesn't matter. The end result is the same. You know, and, and I like I said, I find that they really work hard at it. So, you know, don't don't feel like you can't do anything about it. You absolutely can. And I like that because I hear so often they're saying, oh, well, your pelvic floor is weak. You've had maybe you haven't maybe had a full prolapse, but you've had some. Here's a ring. Go away. I feel at times that's like sending you away. And, and that's that's not a great hope giving space. No, no. And prolapse, um, prolapse can exist pretty much anytime after pregnancy, giving birth, the risk increases during menopause, the risk increases. And, you know, yes, you know, pessaries, rings, they can help, 
But I find what I do with my patients a lot is I taught them how to get their pelvic floor stronger, more resilient, and the pessary worked better, or they may not need have needed it anymore, you know, or they avoided surgery. If they had surgery, the outcome of the surgery was better. You know, it's that that unify, that working together, not an isolated, you know, you do this and that's it kind of thing, I think is so, so, so very important. I th- I feel that just talking to you, Ingrid, there's so much hope for what women can actually achieve here uh, in an area that sometimes we feel hopeless. Yes. Yeah. And, and oh, gosh, you know, that's one thing I really, really want with with education is that people realize there is hope. There is a way to take care of it. You're not alone. So, you know, to have people realize don't hold back on asking for help because you think you're the only person who has this problem. You're not. And there are people who can help. You know, there are really people who can help you out there. And then you can help yourself. And, and you know, the other reason with the book is if, if you read the book and you have, like you said, you have a neighbor, sometimes it opens up the ability to have the conversation. Instead of not having the conversation, you do have it and you say, you know, I read about this and I'm wondering if maybe this is something that can help you. Right. It's the way you phrase it, not like, oh, you've got this problem. And it's more like, wow, I wonder if this is something that can help. You know, would this, you know, be something that could be affecting you and you can get better, you know, with knowing the right questions to ask. Right. So that's my hope is that the world really becomes much more comfortable with these topics and asking for help and getting help and helping themselves. Well, exactly. I think that that's the most important thing. And as you said, assembling your team feels to me like in menopause, well, at any age, really, but especially in menopause, we need a team on our side helping us in all sorts of places to be well. Yes. Yeah. It, that that team is, uh, you can't ask for anything better than to be able to have a number of people you can reach out to and feel comfortable, right? And that that is that is, I think people aren't as comfortable now as they should, but getting that team together and realizing you have a lot of people on your side can make a big difference. And then that person becomes that advocate for someone else. And I've learned so much in life. This applies to everything that once I learned better about something and I became more confident, I could advocate for someone else and that person could advocate for someone else. And if if we can get that ball rolling, which I think this podcast will do an awesome job doing is, can we get that message where everybody's comfortable talking about it and people get help, right? Exactly. And if someone was listening to this podcast, what would you suggest were some of the first steps that they took uh, to address some of their pelvic floor issues? Or even if they had a lot of hip pain or back pain, as we've said, and 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 nothing's worked to date, what would be some of the first steps you would recommend? Sure. Well, I will say, um, if you can purchase my book... (laughs) It has, it has like that broad spectrum. And then at the end, there's a lot of self-help tools. So things that we mentioned today will get someone started on everything from how do you resolve urgency? How do you stop the stress incontinence we talked about? How do you get the pelvic floor stronger and or relaxed? How do you do things to help with pain on intercourse? It's all in there. So there's so much self-help within my book that I think that's a great tool for them. Aside from that, if they notice something is happening, um, let's say they just had a baby and they have a little bit of leakage, don't let someone convince you that you should not 
go to pelvic PT. Ask for it because what you want to do is resolve the problem immediately, but you also want to prevent the problem down the road, as we were talking about during menopause, where it's a little more likely to come back again. For those in, in menopause, pain with sex, there are tips in the book. However, things like using a good lubricant, an aloe vera gelée. So Desert Harvest has this great glide that is very comfortable. You know, that's one example. Vitamin E might be another example. You want to stay with things that are as natural as possible. And there are a number of products out there that are very natural um, that really help people. Um, so those little things can sometimes get the ball rolling and get you in the right direction without too much you know, extensive care. But if those little things don't work, if those starting steps don't work, then it's time to reach out to your pelvic PT, to your, you know, your general practitioner or your OBGYN, depending on who you're most comfortable with, reach out to them first and say, I, I've learned about this. I really, really want to go. And usually then the physician steps up. And we'll say, yes, you know, I agree. Let's, let's try this kind of thing. But as the patient, sometimes you have to be the first one. You have to be your own advocate to get that ball rolling. Yeah, I think that's, that's true for all of us. But I think you're great. Have a book like yours. Get going ourselves. Um, look at some of the, the, the tips that we can do. And then, yeah, if it's not getting better, or we notice something that is kind of different, but not but not normal, shall we say, because right. as you said, leakage isn't normal, then we should seek help. And I suppose it just depends where you live, you know, as to where you go first. But but I think you've given some advice that there is tremendous amount we can do ourselves, but also that we shouldn't settle for being brushed off, just given one one step solution that there is so much more that we can do. Right, right. Yeah, that that really stepping up and, you know, the advocacy for ourselves and for others. And the more we talk about it, the more it will become commonplace to talk about it, right? We don't we don't want to normalize this because it's not okay that women are told you're it's okay that you're leaking right now. Just live with it. Just put a pad on. That's not okay, right? But we want to feel comfortable and that it's normal to talk about it. That's that's a different you know scenario that we feel comfortable with this, right? And then then we say, well, time to take care of this. We I I don't need to be living with this. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that goes for your pelvic floor and it goes for everything else with you in menopause. I think we shouldn't accept that things that aren't right can't be in some way addressed um, fully uh, by ourselves with the support of whatever team you need or choose to have. Right, right. Ingrid, where can people get hold of your wonderful book? Um, so it's on Amazon and desertharvest.com. We also have a, a UK distributor, which might make it easier for people throughout uh, UK, Europe, and so forth to get the book. Um, what I can do is I can send you the link for it. Um, Pelvic Relief is the name of the um the website where uh, our UK distributor has the book. And um, I am, I believe um, she has it under the desert harvest group of products. I believe it's under uh, there. So they will find it there, but I can send you a direct link. So it's not hard to, to find it. That is fantastic because we are going to put that into the show notes. So we will have the link to your book. 
we'll have the link to Desert Harvest, the, the UK-European link for those of us that are in this part of the world. And where's the best place to follow you on social? I believe you're on YouTube doing wonderful things. Yeah, um, I have a few videos up on, on YouTube under The Pelvic Detective. So if you look up Pelvic Detective and put my name in Ingrid, you'll you'll find it. Um, and those will go through some of the things we talked about today in slightly more detail um, than we did on the podcast today. Um, so that's kind of a fun thing I'm doing. I'm also on LinkedIn um, under my name and under um, Instagram. It's hard. Harm Hernandez. So just my last name pulled together as one word. Um, and then uh, what did I miss? Facebook. I'm under my name as well. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to put those links in the show notes too, Ingrid, so that people can reach you and connect with you and, and really work uh, with your methods and, and reach out and take care of their pelvis. Ingrid, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a snapshot of your knowledge and wisdom and, and your enthusiasm for that women can really live much better lives and that we don't have to suffer with our pelvic floor. Thank you so much for having me. I so enjoy talking to you and I really hope that it helps you know, people really find their way and get the help that they need. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I think that it will. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that, because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.